I told the legacy side, it feels kind of refreshing. We've been in John for like a year and two months, and so it was good to, uh, to jump into a, an Old Testament text this morning, Numbers 11. And this morning, I want to talk about leadership and eldership, and uh, just kind of think about what, what it is that we're doing with Brian as we, uh, we make his call uh, to Spring Hill official. So let me, let me pray for us, and then we will jump into Numbers 11 together. Pray with me, will you? God, we thank you for your call to lead. Lord, we thank you for bringing Brian and Tasha to us. And uh, Lord, for the, the gifts that you have instilled in, in them. And that uh, we already see the, the gifts being poured out among this church. And we praise you for that. God, as we open up your word this morning, we, we confess and we remember that it is all of ours to lead. So God, we, we pray that you would... Help us to hear afresh this word. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to, to see you more clearly and, and hearts to, to know you more faithfully. Lord, feet to follow you with everything we have in our. God, we thank you for this word to us. Speak to us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So we're gonna read Numbers 11, verses 1 through 30. This is the second time uh, that there has been an account of quail and manna in the wilderness with God's people. So let's hear now the word of the Lord. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. <clears throat> then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tabera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed. Its appearance was that of Dillam. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills and beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the night, uh, the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? And you should say to me to carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child the land that you swore to give to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we might eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and the officers over them and bring them to the tent of the meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you might not bear it yourself alone. 
and say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall not see, or you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them. They were going among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? What that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to camp. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Isn't that a good story? Over the last few days, uh, Brian and I have been up in Helena for a regional gathering with these gentlemen, a, a group of pastors and elders from all over the west, the western side of the U.S. We gather together three times a year. And every time we do, I leave, I leave that meeting of elders and pastors so encouraged in the Lord. This last week, uh, much of the conversation around the tables was about leadership. And not just leadership, but you can imagine the conversation is, what does it look like to lead in the midst of crisis? Our, our world is an upheaval all around us. We, we know this, so how do you and I lead others to Jesus Christ in such a midst of chaos? Last year, Barna Research did a, a nationwide study on the word leadership, and their findings probably won't surprise you. Barna found that eight out of 10 Christians, the first thing that they think of when they hear the word leader is crisis. Eight out of 10 followers of Jesus, according to Barna Research, believe we are facing an unprecedented leadership crisis in America. Do you agree? Eight out of 10 of you are shaking your heads. You know, it's interesting to me how those two words go hand in hand, leadership and crisis, leadership and crisis. This morning, we officially now install Brian as an associate pastor of this church. And as he steps into that call, as he already has, he now leads in a culture that is continuously in crisis. So what, is, what does that look like? We turn to God's word and we find this famous man named Moses. Moses was a leader of leaders in many respects. He had led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. We've heard this story before. They were free to roam about the wilderness. 
And as you can imagine, there was, there was this celebration and this singing, this jubilation at first. Moses had this brief honeymoon phase in, in his leadership where he was loved and all was well, but almost immediately things changed. God's people were now homeless. Imagine with me 600,000 homeless refugees in the desert. That's the number God gives to us. 600,000, if you read it in Exodus, it says 600,000 plus women and children. No place to lay their head. You know, comparably speaking, most of us, we don't even know what it is to lead through that kind of a storm. What does a leader do with 600,000 displaced people? Where do you shelter them? How do you feed them or clothe them or keep the morale high in camp? All the way back in Exodus 3, you'll remember when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God had come to Moses in this burning bush and he told them, he said, Moses, I'm gonna get my people out of captivity and you're gonna be the one that I'm gonna use to do it. Moses said, yeah, no, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong bush. Next, next one over. And God was relentless. He told Moses, he said, this is my promise. I'm gonna lead my people to a, a land flowing with milk and honey, Moses. You can't fathom what I have in store. But Moses wasn't having it. So God removed all of his excuses. He gave him reinforcements, a man named Aaron. And now that Moses was without any excuses left, God sends him on this mission to liberate his people. And by the time we open up to our lesson now this morning, the Lord has kept every promise he made. Israel escapes from Pharaoh just as God said they would. And right off the bat, his provision comes to fruition with this bread-like manna and quail falling from the sky. And with full stomachs, God's people begin to take their trek now home. Promised land bound. But now we open up to this passage today. It's, it's years later. The honeymoon phase is clearly over. Morale is now at an all-time low. And Moses isn't just facing a humanitarian crisis. This time he's facing an existential, internal crisis. See, God's people, they've chosen not to see God's goodness anymore. They're looking back, not looking forward, and Moses is stuck, and it's so bad, God's word tells us Moses wants to die. Let me just explain this. It's, it's been two years now of homelessness. Numbers 11.10 tells us two years, over two years since God's people were set free. And they've now spent years waiting for this promise of this, this land flowing with milk and honey. But there's no homes to dwell in. There's no gardens to till. There's Seems to be that all the quail have dried up long, long ago, and all that's left from the glory days is manna. Remember what we translate that word manna into? Remember what that means? What is it? Can you imagine telling your mom that next time she makes you dinner? What is it? And somehow, despite God's overwhelming blessing of his people, right, the food has gone bland, and they've forgotten. And instead of looking towards the promise with great expectation, all they can do is look back at what was. They've become so deceived, right, that they've actually said, let's just be enslaved again. Let's go back to Egypt. Look at this in verse 4. Oh, that we had meat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt? They said it came free. We had cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlics. Life was so good. Was it? You know, nostalgia is a curious thing. Our, our past has a way of wearing rose-colored glasses, I think. God's word tells us that in the present, the, the texture of that manna was like coriander seed ground up 
with something called delium. You know what that is? That'd be like eating um, something like gum resin and chia seeds sort of smashed together and boiled and turned into a cake. I've been eating oatmeal with flax seeds for breakfast all summer, not because I want to, but because my wife tells me that it's healthy for me. Can you imagine bland oatmeal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chia seeds, meal after meal after meal? And yet, even though it was bland, even though it was nothing to write home about, God was still faithful, wasn't he? He had still provided in every way that he had promised, but rather than be grateful for what they had, the people became fixated on what they didn't have. So Moses, leader that he is, he passes by the doors of the people and tent after tent after tent, he's overwhelmed by this collective weeping. Thousands complaining, what's a leader to do? You know, I think we can all relate in some way or another and what that means to lead through tough times. You know, as a Christian, this is our highest calling, right? To lead others to Christ. But think about who you lead. We lead our children. We lead our grandchildren. Some of us lead our patients, our, our clients, our employees. All of us are leading someone every day. What does it mean to lead? And if you're doing it right, if, if you're leading well, then it's, it's only a matter of time before that word leadership collides with the word crisis. Because there is a high cost that comes with our high calling. Leadership requires a, a responsibility over those who have been entrusted to us. So Moses, he hears the people weeping throughout the clans, every person at the door of their tent, and we're told all the while the anger of the Lord began to blaze hotly for the lack of thanksgiving of God's people. And like a coach on the sidelines, Moses is beside himself. Remember the Alamo? If I asked that question in Texas, people would roll their eyes and you'd probably hear a groan, right? Because I think in sixth grade, everybody's taught what the Alamo is. It's, it's U.S. history there. But in, 1930, in 1836, um, Texas was in this war of independence with Mexico. And the story goes that there was this ragtag militia who had set up camp in this rundown Catholic mission. And their goal was to fend off General Santa Ana on his way through with the Mexican army in this makeshift fort. Colonel Travis was sent in to reinforce these troops, but when he got there, his reception was dismal. He was a white-collar soldier, a lawyer turned into the army, and, and he, he was this outsider coming in. No one wanted anything to do with him. But in the movie, this live cannonball comes screaming over the, the wall of the Alamo, lands in the courtyard, and it's just sitting there sizzling away. Travis figured if they were going to win, win this battle, and they had to use that ammo because they were running low. And so he ordered his men, one of them needed to pick it up and bring it back to the armory. But of course, no one would move because they knew the next cannonball was on its way to the same place. So Travis, knowing his men would die if somebody didn't act, he sprints to the cannonball, hacks off the burning elements, and carries it back to the captain for a return fire. His men stood there stunned with the bravery and the heroism and from that point forward, Colonel Travis was the newfound leader of the people, not because of rank, but because of influence. See, crisis doesn't create character, it reveals it. And it wasn't until Travis lived into the depths of his responsibilities in that moment that his men began to follow. In the end, you'll remember, 153 of the Alamo died. The battle was by those numbers lost, but they somehow took out 1,500 of the enemy, which 
enabled the war to be won. And students all over Texas still to this day are taught, whether it's in a football stadium or baseball, basketball, remember the Alamo. What I'm trying to say is that when it comes to leadership, whatever God, whoever God has entrusted to you, we carry this awesome responsibility Particularly in the church, as an elder who Brian will become one today, we, we've been entrusted with the caring of souls. It's a high calling that comes with high, high measure. And I suppose then that brings me to the most important part of the lesson this morning. And that is that a godly leader must then also accept that they were never meant to lead God's people alone. I want to take a look again at how raw and honest Moses is with the Lord and just notice how isolated he's, he seems in his words. Look at this in verse 11 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of this people on me? Where am I to get meat to see, feed all these people? Moses said, I'm so tore up. Let's just end this. You know, one of the reasons that I think we've seen such a crisis in America is that we think leadership is a solo task. We've come to believe that leadership is this place of status and instead of service. And so we, we place our leaders up on pedestal and we watch as their pride begins to isolate them. Checks and balances fade away. And then what happens? You can point to it time and time again, both inside and outside the walls of church. Leaders fall because they believe they're too great to fall. But Moses is like the antithesis of that, right? He's all too self-aware how short he comes before this people and before this God. I love how Terry Walling, a professor of mine once taught me, he said, Ryan, you need to understand something, and I've never forgotten this. He said, greater men than you and I have fallen. Don't ever forget that. Jesus says it better. Look at this in Mark 8, 36. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? I want us to notice something about Moses' leadership. Moses was far from perfect, but... Let's just appreciate how honest he was in prayer before the Lord, how self-aware he was of where he begins and he ends. Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? What am I to do here, God? Maybe you see this as Moses joining the complaint with the camp of Israel, and in some respects, I think that's true. But I also think there's something far more deeper going on here. And that is that Moses knows he can't do this alone. In fact, look at this confession verbatim. I'm not able to carry this people, he says in verse 14. The burden is too heavy for me to bear. So God says, okay, Moses, you need to quit your mining, quit your complaining, you need to man up, right? That's what God says next, isn't it? No, 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 look at what God says. Look at how he answers. He says, Moses, gather me 70 leaders. 70 elders of wisdom and encouragement and faithfulness, bring them to the tent of the meeting and they will bear the burden with you so that you won't bear it alone. God multiplies the leadership and he not only multiplies it, but then he equips every leader with the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that rested on Moses. See, a godly leader, wherever you find yourself leading others, we, we have to understand the weight of what it is that God's led us to. But then we also accept that God's design was never meant for us to lead alone. I found a story in a leadership magazine a while back about a, a pastor in the Philippines 
And he had watched as this driver of this, uh, this wagon stopped by this beggar along the side of the road into town. The man was standing there carrying this, this wood stack twice as high as his shoulders. And the story goes that this driver stopped and he invited this beggar to, to hitch a ride. And the poor man, of course, jumped on the back of the truck, happy as a clam. But about halfway into town, all of a sudden, the driver heard this man agonizing, screaming out loud in pain. So he slammed on his brakes and looked back and he was shocked at what he saw. Despite the free ride, the beggar had still had that load up on his shoulders, carrying it even when he didn't need to. How insane is it to, to carry a weight that's not ours? See, every leader in this room, we have to memorize the following words and remember we're all leaders of someone. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And here Moses is losing his mind over God's lack of provision of his people. And yet faithfully, every day, the Lord brings manna time and time again from the sky. It's time Moses had some backup, somebody to remind him, not only of what was, but what is to come. And that same Lord, same God now designs the church to be led, not by one individual, you won't find that, but by a multitude. Elders who would lead with discernment and by example. Look at this in Titus 1.7. For an overseer, as God's steward, they must be above reproach, not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, violent, greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, urgent, upright, holy, disciplined. They must firm, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those to contradict it. I can say without hesitation, as your pastor, I don't fit that mark. The only way that I even begin to get to that mark is by being surrounded by elders like Brian who hold one another accountable in the Lord towards that goal and that prize. See, leadership is an awesome responsibility, but it's not one we were meant to carry alone, which really then requires two persons of every, or two things of every person in this room. The first one is this. That means wherever you find yourself leading, you first have to be cautious of your own pride. It's not a load that you're meant to, to bear on your own. It's a load that's meant to be multiplied, disseminated. But second, if that's true, if you believe that, then... That means we need more leaders. We need more leaders in the church. We need more leaders in the community. We need more leaders in our homes to step up. I love what Dr. Bill Inn said last week at our elders retreat. He said the longer that he's been a pastor and the, the more that he's spoken with people in their brokenness, he said the more he is convinced that there's people wandering in this world still looking for a father or mother to lead us who never would. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? My favorite part of this chapter just tickles me every time that I listen to it. These two men, Eldad and Medad, they, they never made it into the tent with the 70 others. We're not really sure why, but of the 70, they're part of the 70. The, the spirit has come and rested on them, but they're out in the offskirts in the camps doing ministry. And we're told these two are speaking God's word, prophesying over the people. And Joshua hears of this from a random man. 
And he's so alarmed that somebody would be leading outside of Moses that he comes running. He says, Moses, others are leading without you. You need to stop them. Look at how Moses replies. He says, are you jealous for my sake? How cute is that? He says, Joshua, I wish all the Lord's people were prophets, that he'd put his spirit on all of them. Can you imagine what would happen if everyone began to see themselves as called by God to lead Joshua? Moses wasn't about to let pride stand in the way of what God was doing in the midst of his people. And the elders weren't about to hold back in what God was doing in their lives either. See, the greatest challenge of leadership in any context today is that the need is enormous, and yet so few are willing to step into it. We just look at the cannonball on the ground and we go, somebody else go grab that. And this morning, I'm so thankful for Brian's yes to God's call. It's been years that I've been praying for you. But if we ask Brian to do it alone, the fact is as incredible of a man as Brian is, he's toast. As leaders without complete reliance on Jesus, and then without complete reliance on one another's to carry the load, leadership will look exactly like Moses, ragged and weathered, praying for God's mercy to just end it. Jesus was stark clear. He said, Peter, I'll build my church. That's my job. You go make disciples. And I'm convinced there's a reason Jesus then sent the disciples out in twos. There's a reason that in Acts, we see the church set up with elders and deacons over the people. Leadership by God's design was meant to be shared. All right, let's ask a question. Who here knows how to spell Presbyterian? Get your hands up. Oh, good. There's some lifelongers in the room. You ever notice how at Spring Hill, the word Presbyterian is at like the bottom of our logo. It's kind of small. You might hear us say Spring Hill Church. We don't use that word a lot. There's a reason for that. That is from the outside looking in, it's a churchy word. It's, it's a foreign word. It's a weird word. And even amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, they look at us from the Lutheran church and go, what in the world is a Presbyterian? But the word Presbyterian is a very important word. It's a biblical word. It comes from the Greek word presbutero, which means elder. And we use that word, right, because we believe that God's word has designed his church to be elder-led. That's what it is to be in a Presbyterian building. To be ruled and cared for by leaders who now seek the mind of Christ. And when we install Brian as a teaching elder of this church here in Monterrey, he becomes one voice on a group of eight other elders teaching and ruling. And together we lead. But remember this, at Spring Hill, everyone's a leader. See, we've set up the church with this design such that every elder now oversees two deacons and the deacons now lead the day-to-day of the church. We have 15 of them and together they lead. Our deacons oversee ministries like the care of our widows and the teaching of children, the outreach to the lost. But just like Brian, they can't lead at all if there aren't people who are willing to follow behind in their own leadership. The story of Moses reminds me two things when it comes to our call to lead others to Christ and the crisis of our day. The call to leadership is an awesome, enormous, terrifying task. And therefore we never go alone. Wherever we lead, whomever we lead, we go first with the Holy Spirit as God's people and second, bearing one another's burdens in Jesus' name. Pray with me, will you?